Hello and welcome to another episode of A Cozy Christmas Podcast. I'm your host, Art, and Mr. Dickens is here. I'll be interviewing Gerald Dickens today, who is the great-great-grandson of Charles Dickens. Back in, I think it was 2013, as kind of an early Christmas present, my wife got me some tickets to go see Gerald Dickens perform in Omaha. The Douglas County Historical Society was organizing a reading of A Christmas Carol by the great-great-grandson of Charles Dickens. And she had asked me, you know, would that be okay? Does that sound like something you'd like? And, you know, I about lost my mind. I, I, like, yes, absolutely. That sounds amazing. You know, the problem with having as your favorite author, someone who is dead, <laughs> you you can't meet them, you know? <laughs> you can't You can't go up and shake their hand and say, thank you for producing all this wonderful works of literature. But meeting his great-great-grandson is about as close as I would ever get to meeting Charles Dickens. And so I went with that expectation. I was blown away by the performance. It was wonderful. And beyond that, um, you know, to look at Gerald not just as a Charles Dickens figure, but to see him as as himself and his, and what he's able to accomplish uh, with his own abilities and his own performance is really a remarkable thing. This year, because of COVID, his tour has been canceled, but he really wanted to still get out in front of the audience. And so he, as you'll hear in the interview, he quickly worked on getting a film version put together. I really recommend you watch this one because it's, it is so neat how he is still able to personally connect with his audience, even through film. You know, he knows, I know, you know, nothing beats in-person performances, but this this is really well done. A really well done little film. Well, you know what? Enough of me talking. Let's head over to England and pay a visit to Mr. Dickens. Followers of my podcast will know of my, my great love for Charles Dickens and his work, and especially his Christmas stories. So today we have a very special guest, Gerald Dickens, who is the great-great-grandson of the man himself. We welcome you to uh, the Cozy Christmas Podcast. Uh, Gerald, thank you for joining us. Thank you. No, you're very, very welcome. Very welcome. Yeah, no, I, I got the right amount of greats in that, right? It was you did, yeah, yeah. You, you got me just about great enough, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> just great enough. Okay, Perfect. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've had the privilege of seeing Gerald um, several times perform his one-man show of Christmas Carol at the uh, in Omaha at the mm -hmm. uh, Field Club there, uh, and it's a nice little venue, and I know that's always been a highlight of my of my Christmas season. So, Gerald, why don't you uh, tell folks a little bit about yourself and how you got started in performing uh, the works of Dickens? Well, first and foremost, uh, I've always been an actor since the age of nine. Um, I've always been involved in theater and love being on stage. At that age, I was cast in a school nativity play as an oversized rooster. Um, <laughs> where we need another whole podcast to, to have time to tell that story. But, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> kind of the, the, the bug bit. And uh, I, I, I just love being on stage. I loved performing. I love hearing an audience and, and feeling an audience respond to whatever um, we were trying to do. For a long time, I didn't have anything to do with the works of, of Charles Dickens. In fact, I, I, I purposely distanced myself from, from my great-great-grandfather. I, I, I didn't want to become um purely involved in 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 that circus if you like um mm -hmm. because 
the image of Charles Dickens around the globe is still so massive. I know that there are a few modern celebrities who come close to, to having the popularity he still has, well over 200 years since his birth. So, so that's quite a, a thing to be drawn into. But then in 1993, which was the 150th anniversary of the first publication of A Christmas Carol, I was approached by uh, someone who was raising money for a, a small local charity who asked me to recreate one of the, the dramatic readings that Charles Dickens himself had given during the 1860s of, of A Christmas Carol to help raise money for her charity. And I didn't really want to do it. I, I was a bit reluctant and I... I uh, I sort of thought about it for a while, but because it was for charity, it was only ever going to be a one-off. I was only ever going to do it once. And I said, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll give you a reading. Uh, I think she wanted two, two evenings and we'll take it from there. And she'd asked me in May of that year and, and come October, November, I'd completely forgotten that I'd agreed to do it until I got a phone call saying, you know, we're looking forward to your performance next week. Anything we can do for you? And I thought, oh, my word. <laughs> preparation at all, I completely forgotten. Um, <laughs> so I, I went to my dad, and my dad was one of the biggest Dickens fans, but also Dickens experts. It's been my privilege to know, you know, um, mm. quite apart from being my dad and utterly supportive in anything I wanted to do. He knew all about Charles Dickens. So I went to him and said, look, I've been asked to do this. I can't do the whole book because that's going to take me four or five hours. Is there any script you know of that exists that, that is a nice sort of compact version of A Christmas Carol, but will tell the story in, in the sort of way that Charles Dickens did? And, and Dad said, yeah, of course I know a script like that. Um, it's the one Charles Dickens wrote. Um, that seems to be a good one to use. Yeah, what? yeah. <laughs> what, what are you telling me? And he said, well, Dickens didn't just read his books. He didn't just read passage from his books on the readings. He created a fully um, crafted script that worked as a piece of theatre. Dickens was an actor. He was a theatre man. Um, so use that. And he just pulled it out of the bookshelf and said, there we are, use that. So there was my script. Um, and I started looking at it and I thought, well, it's Victorian, you know. <laughs> Here we are in 1993 and things have moved on and people like drama and people like comedy and people like action, you know, people aren't going to sit for 90 minutes listening to a Victorian novel. <laughs> so I, I, I need to kind of modernize it. I need to pump it up a bit. Um, well, why not use any talents I might have as an actor to, to bring these characters to life? So instead of just saying Scrooge did this, Marley did that, Cratchit did this. I will give them all characters. I will give them all voices. So I started looking at the at the script, and the first description of Ebenezer Scrooge is that he was a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Yeah. Oh, okay. I've got his voice, and that's that's fine. Because <laughs> you, know, you you just read that sentence, and you can't help but but become him. Um, so taking it from there, I took every character using Scrooge's voice as the center. Everything else had to um, work from that and be in contrast to that. So, so changes of, of, of character within a scene would be obvious. So Cratchit had a very soft, gentle, lilting voice. Um, and his movements were much more gentle as well to, to coincide, to, to contrast with the harsh voice of Scrooge and the very sharp movements and turns and looks. And, um, and, and I built it up over and over and over, which was, which was a fabulous thing. And as I went through, I thought, this is going to be quite special. 
Mm. I'm really proud of what I'm doing here. You know, I hadn't planned to do this, but this is turning into something pretty, pretty impressive. And I did this show. It was a reading then. I had a book in my hand and I was doing a reading, which meant all the gestures had to come from my right hand because right. I, I held the book in the left hand. And I started doing the show and the audience were obviously engaged and they were enjoying it. And I was thinking, this is fantastic. I, I, I'm reinventing the art of one man storytelling here. I, 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 I'm changing the rules. I'm a game changer. And after the, the show, the shows were done after that Christmas season, I decided to read more about Dickens and his performing career and discovered that when he performed, he gave all the characters individual voices and all expressions and ways of it. I'd, I'd invented absolutely nothing. <laughs> I just recreated exactly what he had done um, 150 years before. And, and it gave me a whole new insight into the character of Charles Dickens. And I suddenly discovered the theatrical man. And, and that's where it all started. And from then on, I just couldn't get enough of it. And I, I've lived with this story for 27 years, and I, I, I love it every season just as much. Yeah, yeah. Well, for having done it for so long, um, how do you keep it fresh? It changes all the time. It, yeah. It's always developing. Every season I do it, I will find a new angle on something. And I don't go looking for it. I don't think, right, this year I need to change the, the tone of the show. It's just during a tour, um, which might be over two months and performing every day of the week and a couple of times most days, you just find ways of saying something or a, a look or a way of moving that changes the whole emphasis of the scene. And that can unlock things further down the line in the story. Well, if he's thinking like that here, then that's going to affect how he thinks in that later scene. And that explains why he reacts like that in that final, you know. So it, it's sort of a living being, if you like. Um, it, 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 it's constantly changing. Um, and that's one of the most exciting things about doing it. The book itself, the story is so powerful. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I've read it every year for like, I don't know, the last 20 years. Yeah. And I've seen movie versions. I've uh, gone to a couple of uh, theater performances. I've seen mm -hmm. yours. And it's still, I mean, I was watching the the video that we'll talk about here in a minute, but, uh, and you know, I, I'm tearing up at the end. Uh, it's just, yeah. it's a powerful yeah. story. <laughs> it's, and it's a great testament to the story that it works in all of those different formats. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you can have a big special effect movie version of it. You can have a one man reading of it. You can have a radio show. You can have a television show. The Muppets can do it. Mr. Magoo can do it. And it always works. It always has the same profound effect on you. Yeah. It's an extraordinary story. And like I said on the podcast, I, I talk about the story a lot and, and Dickens as, as often as I can get an excuse to. And <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we I was had a guest on and we were talking about the story and and just marveling in the the beautiful, you know, redemption story that yeah. this book brings out too it's just so many themes that our world needs today one of yeah so right and and it, it's interesting if you scour the internet at the moment mm. you will find so many streamed versions of a christmas carol mm -hmm. um either theater productions or, or smaller productions or one man or whatever and i think that's the reason i think we need it mm -hmm. we, we need to be reminded that 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 actually we're, we're, we're going to get through this as a society, as a community, and by cooperation and by caring and by, by just helping each other, by being there for each other. You know, that, that's how society needs to work. And, yeah. and, and that's, that's, that's a big, big message that we all need to keep being reminded of. Yeah. You know, a couple of years ago, I was reading it and there were some things happening in the news 
and I read some, you know, I read up the passage about, uh, you know, ignorance and wants mm-hmm. the, the children mm-hmm. and, you know, there was a lot of news about children and, and, and immigration and all that here yeah. in the States. And I just thought, man, we need to remember this. Ignorance <laughs> this applies. Yeah. That's really where the whole story started from. That was, that was Dickens's first um, inspiration for the book was mm-hmm. ignorance and want. Um, he was lecturing through that autumn and he was lecturing about the need to provide education for the children of workers who couldn't afford education for their children. Mm-hmm. Because what he was saying was that if we don't look after the next generation, we're sunk, you know? Yeah. So we, we've got to provide, we, 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 we can't allow ignorance to grow through, through want of money and help and assistance. And he was making speeches and writing pamphlets about this issue. And he was making a speech in Manchester in October of 1843. And as, as he sat down, as he was listening to the applause, he suddenly thought, I can do so much more than just make a speech and write a pamphlet. If I can frame a Christmas book around this, but make it, you know, I, I don't want it to be a lecture. I want it to be entertaining and, and, and um, readable. Then I can achieve so much more. And that's where it all started. October the 5th, I think it was, 1843, he hadn't written a word. By the 19th of December, it was on the bookstores. You know, incredible. Yeah, I don't know how many times I've had to finish a project at the last minute. And then yeah. I, I, I hear these stories about, you know, these great works of art or literature yeah. or music were done last minute. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, no, nothing I ever did was... <laughs> just, just think if you had a whole year to work on it. It might not have been nearly as good. You know, right. it, it, it might it. It, it, this was just passion. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, he, he just caught yeah. his caught his passion and took off with it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and I I think it's neat that he you know he's able to you know take these important themes, and like you said, instead of just lecturing, mm-hmm. it, it's put into a story that is a good story. Yeah. And entertaining and funny and heartfelt and yeah. you know kind of under the the guise of let me tell you a story but you're going to get a good lesson here too. It, yeah, it's, yeah, I know. Yeah. And yeah. now that's, you, you switch off straight away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> whereas, whereas Dickens is clever. He gets the point across without you realizing. Right. And you right. just feel better and you feel more kindly and you feel more, more open toward helping your fellow man at the end of it. Yeah. yeah. It always makes me laugh at my shows. Actually, you know, you see an audience coming in and they've been caught in traffic and the weather's bad and they haven't found a parking space and, and you know, they haven't got the seat they wanted and, and <laughs> everybody's bad tempered, you know, and then when everybody's leaving, there's just this atmosphere of, 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 of fun and camaraderie yeah. and, and, and okay. The, the story's worked its magic again. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I may have been one of those at one point. So <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I hate parking lots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, this uh, year we've had COVID cancel a lot of performances and that sure. certainly has impacted your, your tour uh, to the point yeah, where you, you're not here right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you, you found a way to, to get around this with uh, the yeah. movie you put together. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's a very interesting lesson, and the same lesson as we get from A Christmas Carol, really, that, that out of adversity can come some real, real positives. Um, and that's what's happened to me this year. It became apparent very early in the year to me that, that 
the idea of performing was, was going to be almost impossible. Um, I think for a while I held out hopes that everything might be behind us by Christmas, but you know, looking forward, that that soon became pretty apparent that wasn't going to happen. And I saw the figures rising in Britain, and I saw the figures rising in America. And then the British government started bringing in um, quarantine rules. So if you've been traveling abroad, you'd have quarantine for 14 days when you return. I thought this just isn't going to work. You know, this mm. is so. I I, I I called a tour. I pulled a tour quite early in the year and um, said reluctantly, looking forward, I, I don't think this is going to work this year. And kind of resigned myself to that and settled down to to do a bit in the garden and go on a few long walks and even <laughs> took up running. That was a scary thing. Yeah, um, <laughs> and, and, uh, that, that was fine. And then word started coming back from America. A couple of the venues, including the, um, the Douglas County Historical <laughs> Society in Omaha, um, started saying, we'd really, I know you're not coming, but we'd like your show, please. You know, we've got an audience, like to see it. Anything you can do, can you do a live, a live stream performance of it? And I thought, well, it's going to be a very small performance if I do that. And <laughs> trying to keep in my, my laptop screen. Yeah. And I thought, well, people have asked me over the years, over and over, am I ever going to put the, the show on DVD or am I ever going to film it? Yeah. And the reason I never have up to now is I've not known how to. I, I Part of the, the joy of the show is the relationship between me and the audience and you know, you've seen it a few times. There's, there's a certain amount of back and forth and, and, and sort of cooperation, yeah. audience participation, if you will, um, which is fun. And But but also the the, the darker scenes, the, the, the tragic scenes, there is a connection. And I've always worried that if I just filmed the show, I'd, I'd lose that. But I thought, well, if, if, if people want it, okay, we, we can film it. I can do that. So I'll rent a theater somewhere. I'll find a videographer and we'll film the show. And we'll do it two or three times. She can get different angles. Okay, be nice. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I was um, introduced to a, a young videographer and editor called Emily Waldo, who, who's actually won an Oscar for her editing on a, on a, on a, a short movie she, she made a few years ago. And part of her work is filming stage productions. So I thought, okay, that's good. She'll, she'll be a good place to start. So I spoke to Emily. Um, and I said, you know, here's the show. And I sent, I sent her an old clip that somebody had just taken from a tripod camera at the back of a theater. And I said, you know, can we do this? And she said, yeah, it'll be fine. It's, it'll be easy. I'll, I'll come along. I'll have a camera on a tripod. We'll do a run of it. I've got a handheld camera so I can do some close-ups and track with you around the stage. You know, we, we can run through the show two or three times. We'll do it in a day. Mm -hmm. Easy. I said, okay, that's, that's good. Let's do that. And then I thought, well, you know, this is a good opportunity to do something a little bit more. So rather than just doing it on stage, why not start using different areas of the theater building? So it's still a theater-based thing, but we use blank walls backstage or we use the lobby or we use the bar or we use the auditorium itself and different scenes are cutting around. So, so, so suddenly it's becoming a little more vibrant. That's exciting, I thought, oh, I'll do that. And then I thought, well, Maybe we can take a little bit further. Why not? Why not start trying to find a, a really spooky location? That's a spooky story. Marley yeah. was dead to begin with. First line. Ah, great. So let's film it in a cemetery. So I, I, I asked um, Highgate Cemetery in London, which is the biggest cemetery and gothic monstrosity of a place. It's incredible. Lots of very famous people buried there. And I asked them if we could film there, and and they said yes, that'd be fine, but we want a very big location fee I'm like, okay well it's not going to work but it's got to be somewhere <laughs> <laughs> and then i thought well 
I know a very nice little churchyard in, in the county of Kent, which is where Charles Dickens lived. And it's the churchyard that inspired him to write the opening chapters of Great Expectations. One of the most dramatic openings to a book. There's little Pip in this churchyard and a uh, convict leaps up from behind the tombstone and grabs him around the neck. So I said, I'll, I'll, I'll use that. That'll be a good location. Well, if I do that, maybe there are a few other locations in and around that same area where Dickens lived that I can also use. So I went to the, um, the Rochester Council, Medway Council, who, who run that place, and say, would you mind me filming in a Christmas carol around there? And I, I have a good relationship with them. I, I, I perform for them a lot. And they said, yeah, we can do that. All of our venues are closed through lockdown. So, so as long as you know, you're distancing and isolating and wearing masks and everything, we can do that. So I chose a number of locations that Dickens had featured in other novels. Um, mm -hmm. One is called Eastgate House. It's a wonderful old Elizabethan house, which featured in the Pickwick Papers and the Mystery of Edwin Drood. That or areas within that became Scrooge's office, his bedroom and the nephew's house. Um, there's a little arms house in the center of Rochester called the Six Poor Travelers House, which Dickens wrote about in a short essay, which is very sparse and plain, which was perfect to become the Cratchit's house. And when we were filming there, the, 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 the custodian, the um, lady who owns it, said, well, would you be interested in using the correction room? And she took yeah. me down to the basement where there's this dingy, dark sort of dungeon of a room. And I thought that was perfect for the, the, the scene where the, uh, the guy's selling on Scrooge's clothes and, and yeah. you know, that, that was perfect. And suddenly it all came together. So I started reworking the script. I, I took my, my um, stage script and I started writing it as a, a movie script. Now, I know nothing about filmmaking. I've never made a film in my life. So I was just winging it. Yeah. Said, well, we have a camera coming in there and we could do that and we could have this coming in and maybe a change of costume and then that and tracking shot here and a swooping shot there. And, mm. and I sent this new script to Emily. She said, yeah, here's the script. Are we still okay for next week? <laughs> and I got a very polite email back saying, um, yeah, this has changed slightly to, to filming you twice through on a stage. I'm not entirely sure we can achieve what you want to achieve. You know, we're going to need a crew of about 500 and a budget of 100 million and <laughs> scale six months to do this so yeah. all right we'll 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 meet and we'll we'll sort it out and we started filming the first time emily and i actually met was the first day of filming and she got it she understood exactly what i was trying to do and and through through her camera work and my performing and looking at what we had around us looking at the scenes we had around us and how we could use them the, the the film developed it grew into in, into something that we're really really proud of and which is really nice because that's exactly how the stage show grew as well um, mm. i never planned anything it just we did things that seemed right um and we filmed over about four days in the end and when we were all finished she took it all away and and did her editing stuff and i knew nothing about the film for three weeks i was terrified i had no idea what was going to come out the other end and then when she, she sent it through to me and I, I, I sat on my own and watched it. And I was the same as you, I, I was crying. I was just crying at bits of it and, and laughing at other bits of it. And oh, wow, it's, it's been a really exciting few weeks at the, at the end of this year to, to come up with the idea, to source the locations, to film it, to see the edit, to tweak it and, and then get it out there. Um, 
yeah, I'm I'm so so pleased with with how it's gone. Yeah, it, it's I mean it's beautiful, beautifully shot. The locations, especially that graveyard, uh, mm -hmm. were really powerful. Yeah, and I thought it was quite a nice idea to 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 narrate it almost from the graveyard because yeah, you know the the the, the references to graves and tombstones and death and and come into the story over and over and over. So yeah. to have that as our sort of go to place was was the nice thing. I thought it was pretty neat that the weather seemed to cooperate too when you needed it cloudy. Yeah. There was some cloudy. Yeah. We were so lucky. We were so lucky. And uh, oh, the, the scene with the uh, ghost of Christmas present, then when everything is sunny and, and the sun itself is out, it, that was really neat. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, no, we were, we were, you know, Charles was looking over us on that day. He was, I, uh, I think he so. He was putting two things up there to make sure everything worked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Well, and I know, you know, one of the things you love about doing theater and doing doing the play is that audience interaction and that that yeah. personal yeah. connection. And sometimes you lose that on film. But yeah, what what I loved was how it still felt like it was very personal. Good. Whether it was, you know, you were addressing the camera, so you, you know, you were talking to the audience as it were. Mm -hmm. um, but then even just the the camera work, you know, you're in that kind of point of view of following the narrator around. And yeah. it does give you a little bit of a, a personal feel to it. And and good. I'm glad because yeah. that, that, that's what I wanted to capture. Um, and that's one of the reasons we did a lot of narrative director camera. And even even with a character suddenly turning to address the character as well, mm -hmm. uh, I did to address the camera as well. Um, I'm glad you you picked up on that because I thought that was something I, I very much wanted to achieve. Yeah, I I thought that was that was a nice I don't know nice touch I guess that you know we I felt included in that like you would in a in a live performance. So mm -hmm. good. I, I know nothing beats a live performance though, but <laughs> yeah. that, that was that was really well done. So uh, I I love that. I, and I, you know, and then watching it sometimes I'm usually you know we sit in the back or something we can't always see mm -hmm. as your face up as close and yeah you know and just, just to to see you know some of the emotions that cross on your yeah. face and things that it, it it brought a new element to me a fresh element yeah. to me again um so that was the scene that, that, that really got me watching it back was was the scene where bob cratchit just breaks down mm. when when he's returned home and he's he's trying to be stoic he's trying to be brave and he's telling mrs cratchit that the graveside is beautiful and green and then he just loses it yeah and that's the sort of thing that you can capture so much more easily with the camera close to you rather than you sitting you know as you say sort of 100 feet away right. at the back of the back of the field club and suddenly you're 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 in that scene and sharing it with him so yeah yeah, yeah that whole part where you know you you say the line uh you know show me some tenderness connected to the to death or, or mm -hmm. however that line goes and then mm -hmm. the next shot is is you just walking into that room where the cratchits mm -hmm. live and it's mm -hmm. it's like a gut punch you know oh man because yeah. yeah. i know what's coming you, you know yeah, exactly <laughs> and uh for those who have seen or read the story you know what's coming and mm -hmm. it's like oh no not here um yeah. but i you know i think that's one of the most powerful moments in the story yeah. and i i think uh, I, I agree Probably the one where where Scrooge really is broken. You know, he realizes the good he can do and mm. and the changes he can make. It's a very interesting point, and that's something that I've learned over the years about the story. 
is what affects Scrooge, what, what gets him. Mm -hmm. And one of the most important things about telling the story effectively is the first moment that Scrooge is affected. It's the very first thing he sees with the ghost of Christmas past. It mm. has to begin then. Yeah. You see so many productions, not so much now, but you used to, in which Scrooge is mean and evil and nasty and he's mean and evil and nasty and is mean and evil and nasty. And then suddenly he gets terrified oh, by the ghost oh. of Christmas future and he's, he's, you know, suddenly lovely. Yeah. It doesn't work. Yeah. That, that, that makes no sense as a story. And I think one of the first moments is and it's the reflection of seeing himself as a school child and remembering the loneliness. And then he compares that to the loneliness of the little boy who is carol singing outside his door. Mm -hmm. And he sort of catches in his voice and he says, you know, I, I, I wish, I wish, and, and, and he can't finish the sentence. He, he, he the, the ghost pushes him and says, what's, what's the matter? And he said, well, there was a boy at my door singing a Christmas carol, and I just wish I'd given him something. And that's the first moment. That's when it all starts. Yeah. And then there's the, the, the scene with his fiance with Belle, which really breaks him. Mm. And each of these little moments just builds and builds and builds and builds until ignorance and one. Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Well, hang on. You said that. <laughs> now what do you think? I know. I know. Um, and yeah, all of those moments are so important. It's so interesting. Like you said, uh, almost as soon as he's brought to the past and confronted with these things, I mean, yeah. he's, he's starting to cry. He's, yeah. you know, yeah, when, he see, when he sees himself really as a boy. On. Yeah. Really early on. It's, it's, it's funny. We, I have an, an eight-year-old daughter and we watched the Muppets Christmas Carol at the weekend. It's the first time she's seen the story. It's the first time she, she's known the story. And she watched it, and, and the theme of the fiancé is, is what made the biggest impression on her. Mm. And she said, well, does, does Scrooge get together with her? Does he get back with her? And I said, well, no, because she marries somebody else, you know, and, and, and Scrooge sees that, and, and she's happy, and she's got a family of her own. And then again at the end, she said, but doesn't he get to meet his... The, the, the girl he loved. Mm -hmm. Well, no. And that told me something that I've never realized before. That's the only point of the, the plot that isn't resolved. Yeah. Everything else is corrected by Scrooge's change. His relationship with his employee, mm -hmm. his, his relationship with his family, with Fred, which is the only link to his sister who he loved. The link, he saves Tiny Tim. But that heartbreaking moment, there's no resolution for that. It's gone. And, yeah. and that was a really interesting um, and very perceptive observation, which I, I've, I've never, mm. never picked up on before. I hadn't thought of that either. That's, no, no. that's, and that's, I mean, that's one thing I love about the story. I, I keep finding new things and yeah, exactly. people, people exactly. point out different things and this is great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Do you have a lot of challenges in adapting your your stage performance to to video or did it kind of not flow? Really. Um, not, not really. You know, I, I, I know the storytelling aspect works. Um, I know the edit works. If, if I were doing it again, I'd make it longer. I'd include more. I hadn't realized how much shorter because I'm using the same script, funnily enough, mm -hmm. um, basically. And it's about 15 minutes shorter than the, the stage show, <laughs> uh, which, which is so, so, you know, I suppose movement or whatever. I, I don't know why that is, but um, so I'd love to 
take the opportunity to put some more passages in, um, which I've never been able to have in, in, the, in the stage show because of time constraints. Um, there are extra pieces I'd love to put in, pieces of, of narrative language I love. Um, I think you said you, you'd read my blog this morning and I included that fantastic passage when, when Scrooge and the Ghost of Christmas Present go flying across the oceans and out to lighthouses and down mines. And it's an extraordinary piece of writing. Um, so, so from that point of view, if I were looking at it again, I, I would try and expand it a little bit more. But um, no, the actual challenges of, of creating it for a film, not not too much. Um, now I know what we can do. Now I know what Emily can do as an editor and 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 how we can film it. You know, yeah. I, 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 there are some scenes I'd love to love to play about with a little bit. And uh, but uh, yeah. no, it, it wasn't too difficult. Yeah. Well, I I was really glad you left Mrs. Cratchit in. <laughs> oh, you've got to have Mrs. Cratchit in her pudding. <laughs> her, her pudding. Yes, we we have lo loved that part so much uh, yeah. in your performance and and so now even at home we'll we'll start saying supposing, supposing. supposing. <laughs> if, if we're worried about something and <laughs> that's an absolute genuine fear that yeah oh, yeah british mums um, would always have because the christmas pudding you steam for hours you steam for about six hours mm. and you actually made it back in august and, and since then it's been wrapped in cloth um sort of infusing if you like in a darkened room so and then you take the cloth out you don't look at the pudding you put that whole thing in a steamer and you leave that for six hours the first time you know if this thing's worked is when you unwrap it to serve it mm -hmm. the last time you saw it was august so it, <laughs> you know and 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 this is this is the highlight of the, of the feast this is you know the equivalent of pumpkin pie and thanksgiving this yeah if, so if this doesn't work the christmas feast is ruined <laughs> and I remember my mother getting terrified. And there was one year where it had, it, it it hadn't worked. It had all collapsed and had fallen to bits, and she was distraught. So, oh. so poor old Mrs. Cratchit's fears are, are, are completely genuine. But it's a lovely scene. It's a lovely yeah, scene. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably I don't know. Many people agree, but you know that whole scene with the Cratchit family is mm -hmm. uh, is my probably my favorite part mm -hmm. in the whole book. Um, yeah just so beautifully written yeah. um you know the the line about them being uh, poor but they were happy with each other i i love that line um it's happy with each other and with the season yeah it's such a good reminder for me mm -hmm. every year so yeah very true very true <laughs> you know i know some people will ask you if you have a favorite line or a favorite part and that's always hard it's like picking your own fa your favorite yeah. kid yeah um the interesting thing about it, and I, I was thinking about this last night when, when I was doing the Q&A with Kansas City, mm -hmm. that um, the thing is, every scene is vital. You know, there's no wasted scenes in the story. Yeah. Every scene is vital to the, the moving on of the plot, which makes choosing a favorite very, very difficult. Um, there are favorite ones from a performance point of view, just, just for sheer self-indulgence, such as Mrs. Cratchit, and then yeah. putting um and then especially times where you, you're playing along with the audience a bit and then getting a lot of mm -hmm. reaction and response that's that's always mm -hmm. lovely as an actor i love the emotion and the emotion of of scrooge when he's face to face with the ghost of christmas yet to come in the churchyard and and everything is suddenly becoming apparent to him and that mm -hmm. sudden fear 
that, that this is it, that he can't turn it around. He wants to. He's been telling us he wants to. That, 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 that's the other point I was going to make, actually, about the, 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 the chain of Scrooge um, and, and his, his, his realisation where it starts. The very first words he says to the second ghost, to the ghost of Christmas present, he says, I went forth last night on compulsion and I mm -hmm. learned a lesson that is working for me now. So tonight, if you have what to teach me, let me profit by it. He's saying, look, I understand, I get it. And I learned a lesson last night and I want to learn more. Mm. He's not at that point, he's not saying, no, bah, humbug, go away. I, I, I'm not interested in you. He's yeah. saying, please help me. I, I want to learn. Um, and that, that's, that's an important point. So, so when we get to the end and he's shown, we, we, we've been shown Tiny Tim has died. We've been we've shown the 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 the, the mirth and the um, mercilessness of society talking about this man's death, whoever he might be. And mm -hmm. we all know that Scrooge doesn't. Um, and then he's suddenly brought face to face with his own mortality. And in that moment, absolute fear that he can't change. He wants to, but he can't because it's too late. And, and the emotion in that scene, I think, is one of my favorite, favorite moments. Yeah, um, I, I that's a thing I picked up on watching the uh, Alistair Sim version of Christmas Carol. You know, he could, there's that line he says that I, you know I can't change. I'm too old. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that fear that um, yeah. I, it's too late. Is it too yeah. late? Um, yeah, you know, exactly. it's just the beginning of my torment. Mm. Uh, fortunately, he he's able to. You know, absolutely, and, 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 and yeah. And there's another lesson. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You're, you're never too old to change. I, guess. I, I can learn how to make a movie. There you go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I learned how to start doing a podcast this there year. So uh, we were stuck inside in quarantine and, you know, uh, I tell this all the time, but um, my wife says, you guys got to learn to do something while we're inside. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't want you sitting around doing nothing. Yeah, so yeah. I've been wanting to for a while. So I thought, yeah. why not? I'll, I'll, this is it. This is the time to do it. <laughs> it's perfect timing. It's, it's perfect time to learn how to do it. And it's perfect time for everybody else to listen to it. You know, that's, we've, that's all right. we've all got time. That's right. Plenty of time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, just some other things uh, you've been working on. Uh, we'll we'll kind of shift gears a little bit from, from Christmas. Um, but you've been working on a book about the uh, Staplehurst. That's uh, right. Yeah train crash how's that going that's good um that, that's with the publishers and in the editing process and and uh hopefully it'll come yeah. out next year um that that's been a really exciting project um it's always fascinating me one, one of the programs i do um one of the other performances i do is, is a piece called the signalman another ghost story that dickens wrote in 18 um 1866 and um it, it's it, it's almost more like a poe piece than a dickens piece it's very dark and very uh, oppressive um, in its language and, and, and grammar. And whenever I perform the signal, it's quite a short piece. I've always prefaced it by telling the story of the Staplehurst rail crash that took place almost a year before Dickens wrote it. It was, Dickens was coming back from France um, on a train. He'd, he'd crossed the English Channel by ferry. He'd got the chain in, uh, in Folkestone, was heading towards London. And up the line, repairs were being carried out over a bridge over a small river. And the man who was leading the works had read the timetable incorrectly. He thought the train was coming two hours later than in fact it was due. And when the train arrived, there was no rail across the bridge and the train just went straight over and into the river. 
the first class, the, the first of the first class carriages behind the locomotive actually jumped the gap and made it. But all the other carriages just went straight down and each one crashed into the other and absolute disaster. Ten people were killed, um, over 40 people very, very seriously injured. And Dickens was in the only carriage that didn't go down. He was in the carriage that jumped. So he clambered down and he, he spent two or three hours assisting in the rescue and helping people and comforting people. And um, he, he wrote a, a, a very impassioned letter uh, a couple of days later explaining how, how he was trying to help, trying to give them water and people were dying in his arms um, and it affected him profoundly. Um, and I've always just sort of told this story very briefly in, in much the way I just have told you. But I began to think there must be more to it. You know, what else happened that day? Um, who else was on the train? Who were the other passengers? What was going on? What was the model of locomotive? How fast did it go? What was the weather like? Um, who was the driver? Who was the... All these things, all these details that we never know. So I started doing a bit of research last year, about this time last year. Um, and, and one of the first things I found was this, the, the, the certificates for cause of death from the, the victims. So suddenly I had names. I had 10 names. And that made a big impression. These were real people. Um, so I started looking back at censuses and, and finding out where they came from and their families. And, and little by little, all these connections started taking place. And I was able to, to, to build a, a more complete picture of the whole day from the moment the train left Paris, where it started, to the moment it went down into the river. And then afterwards, talking about the inquests and the official investigations and who was found to blame and um, Dickens's reaction to it. Um, he, he suffered what is now recognized as a severe case of post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and he was fully involved in his reading tours, so he's needing to be traveling by train a lot. And, and that there are times where he, he would just get off at a station and, and get off one of the express trains and couldn't go couldn't go on he was terrified mm. and as part of the research I, I interviewed some people who are involved in modern day rail accidents um and and, and amazing how how their experiences tie in with with what dickens recorded so yeah it was it, it that's been a really really interesting project and uh, I, I love doing the research and it's 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 one of those things that that makes me feel like I know him a little bit better. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. You know, I, I like to read a lot about Dickens. I have a mm -hmm. shelf full of mm -hmm. biographies and books and things, but uh, you know, that's, that's a period not a lot of people have written about other and yeah. in, in more, maybe a chapter or something in the biography. Exactly. But, and that was my, yeah. that, that was my feeling about Staplehurst that, you know, there's a couple of paragraphs and really only yeah. because he was traveling with his mistress, not his wife. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> conclusion, <laughs> um, and and really, it was it was because of the rail accident that we 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 got to know there was a mistress. Um, he mm. kept a very very secret, very quiet, successfully. Mm. But in the aftermath of the accident, he wrote a letter to the the um, the station master at the major station rail station in London, saying, "I was travelling with a young lady who who lost." Uh, some gold trinkets and, and had the name Ellen engraved on them. If you find them, will you? And suddenly, you know, what, what, you know what the press are like? <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> I smell a story. 
um, and, and, and that's where, where we began to learn about Ellen Turnan. Um, so it, it, it's a really important period of his life. Actually. If I remember right, then doesn't he, when Dickens dies, it was like five years to the day mm-hmm. of, of his train accident. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, five years to the very day. Yeah. Um, doesn't quite doesn't quite work and it, it, it's a really nice thing in 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 the show when i'm talking about a ghost story i say he died exactly five years the very day after and everyone goes yeah <laughs> right he actually had the stroke the day before um sure you know so so he he, he lingered on for a day and then then finally breathed <laughs> his last but um but yeah pretty well and and apparently this is also a, a, a quite a common feature of post-traumatic stress disorder that that, that on an anniversary of a a major event that has affected you. It, it's quite common that, um, yeah. you know, in Dickens' case, it was a stroke, but but, but a heart failure or, or uh, some physical change is, is brought about by that recollection. Sure, yeah. that's yeah. Well, that's interesting. Um, that's a cheery one for a Christmas podcast. Yeah, yeah. Now we got we to gotta, we gotta <laughs> switch it up here. Be, be happy again. Uh, but... No, I, I am looking forward to reading the book. I know it's going to be a, it's, it's a heartbreaking story, but it, it's, I think, historically very important and interesting. Yeah, yeah uh, I agree. Especially in, um, not, even, not just Dickens' life, but, you know, for those in, uh, you know, rail, railroad history, yeah. things yeah. like that. Um, I think that'll be informative. But yeah, let's let's definitely switch and talk about something more cheerful now. <laughs> Um, well, Christmas uh, season is upon us, and I like to talk about people's Christmas memories and traditions. What are your favorite Christmas memories or traditions that you you might have? My favorite memories of Christmas growing up as a kid are that every single Christmas was exactly the same. <laughs> you know, I, I could take you through the day minute by minute, and it would never change. And I loved that; it was so special. And um, tradition was was incredible you know down to mum panicking about the pudding let's go back to mrs cratchit again um yeah you know very very special special times being with the family the house completely decorated with with a tree that was probably too big dad would go and choose one and say oh no we need a bigger one and we'd get it home and it'd be too big so we'd have to cut it down again you know that was a tradition every year um the smell of an open fire um waiting to open the, the presents you know we had to wait till lunchtime we, we weren't allowed to open them until then and going to church in the morning and and going for long walks the next day and yeah all all of that mm-hmm. is just beautiful and and to an extent we we, we we try and recreate that not on the same scale but um between the four of us here we we, we have a a lovely paced day and we'll walk around the neighborhood and look at everybody else's christmas lights and you know we'll all be in our mm-hmm. christmas sweaters and and, and Oh yeah, change greetings and all of that. It's just it's 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 beautiful. Now I, I know a lot of people ask you, what is your favorite movie version well, I've of got a Christmas new one Carol? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's actually mine. <laughs> the competition is, is closed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, it's it, it's a tricky one because almost every every version that I, I like parts of it. You know, it, it, almost every version I know has a way of telling a part of the story that I really, really appreciate. Um, mm-hmm. I think the three, I'm not going to plump for one. I'm going to go for three. Well, one, one is Alistair Sim. 
Mm-hmm. It, it, it's the classic telling of the story. It's just so cheerful when he's skipping around at the end and running to the window and, you know, it's just beautiful. I, 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 I love the performance of George C. Scott as Scrooge. I think he is a superb Scrooge because it's a slightly different Scrooge. And he is a real businessman. He is a powerful, ruthless businessman. Mm-hmm. Not a weaselly, scared, cowering moneylender, but a businessman. And Scrooge would have been. Um, Dickens tells us exactly where his offices are set. And then next to the the, um, uh, the the Bank of England, just tucked in behind the Bank of England and the um, uh, Stock Exchange in, in, in the heart of the city of London. So anyone that was operating there is proper. Yeah, he's not a little backstreet moneylender. He's proper. And also in the book, Dickens tells us, or Scrooge tells us, that he 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 pays his taxes. When the charity collectors come, he says, you know, I I, I, I pay for these institutions. They cost me enough. Why, why should I now give you more in charity? So Dickens makes the point that he is a respectable businessman. Um, he's not a crook, mm-hmm. which is a really important thing. And, and I love that George C. Scott gets that. Yeah, he's, he just wants to make a business. He wants to run his business. He's ruthless and he's mean, but that's all he wants to do. Yeah. Um, he's not a bad man. He's not a crook. So, so I, I love that aspect of the George E. Scott one. And quite seriously, people always think I'm sort of making a joke when I say this, but I love the Muppets version because it is a very, very, and it struck me again. I watched it at the weekend. It struck me again. It's a really close, accurate telling of the story. It uses whole chunks of Dickens's original text mm-hmm. um, and it's introducing the story to generation upon generation upon generation that's their, their, their first introduction to a Christmas Carol and it sets them off on that journey in a very very good good way so I, I think those three capture it for me yeah um, they're, they're the ones that have just that little bit extra yeah uh, you know my first inter- introduction was probably uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a, a short 20 minute film, but yeah. they're able to capture so many of the elements there. Yeah. And then. And yeah. we touched on it earlier that again, it's an amazing story that, that whatever you do to it, it works. The story yeah. is always the winner. So whether it's Mickey, whether it's the Muppets, whether it's Mr. Magoo, whether it's, um, you know, whatever it is, it, it always works. Uh, it's incredible. I mean, it's, my favorite for a reason, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah it, it, it's just good. It's good. Um, but yeah, I, I love the Alistair Sim version. I can remember watching that as a kid with my dad and my grandpa, mm-hmm. you know, and really being the first time I got the full story. Yeah. And I can remember, you know, wondering, oh, is Scrooge going to change at the end? You know, mm-hmm. is this going to not connecting, you know, that story with with Mickey's yeah. at all, you know, because hey, this is a movie, you know, I gotta yeah, watch yeah. this. And, but yeah, I, so I have a lot of nostalgia around that film. Yeah. My, my very first memory of Christmas Carol wasn't a movie. It was one Christmas Eve and my uncle and cousins, my uncle and aunt and cousins had come to stay with us over Christmas. And my uncle read Christmas Carol to us at bedtime, just before bed. And what I remember most about it was the absolute amazement that it had all happened in one night. Mm. Marley had told us this was going to happen on three successive nights. He said, said, the first spirit will come tonight when the clock strikes one. 
The second will come at the following night at the same hour. And the third will come on the following night when the last stroke of 12 has ceased. So he's told us it's three nights. And then Scrooge goes through an entire day with the ghost of Christmas past. And then we go through an entire day. We, we, we join Ghost of Christmas Present on, on the morning and we go through an entire day. That's two days gone. We don't quite know what happens with the future. I and mean, that's all over the place. That's coming and going. But, you know, we assume. And then Scrooge wakes up and it's Christmas morning. It's all happened in one night. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's, it's like a, um, a conjuring trick. It's a sleight of hand by a magician. Yeah. He's led us one way. He's made us think one thing. But over here, he's doing something quite, quite different. And, oh, no, there we are. You know, there's yeah. the rabbit in the hat. Um, yeah. And and that that was what that was my first um, memory of a Christmas Carol is that sense of wow. Well, yeah. You know, I don't know if I even ever caught that until later. You know, uh, mm -hmm. when I was a little older. But people still ask me. People ask me after shows, and you know, why do you tell it that way? Because I thought it all happened in one night, you know? <laughs> or, or I thought it happened in three nights, or, or whatever. And, and people still are amazed at that. Yeah. At first I was like, I thought, well, did he forget? He said three nights. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Quick, lousy writing. That's what this is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no. that, that, that's October to December. That's, that's why that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, Dickens, uh, I, I sort of used the analogy I used on purpose because Dickens loved um, doing magic. He, he was yeah. an amateur conjurer. He loved doing magic tricks. So that's exactly how I see this, that, that he's, he's misleading us one way and then doing something completely different with us with the other hand yeah that, it, it's great all right well if uh, folks want to uh, rent your video um where where can they find that at well um then go to my website which is just geralddickens.com mm -hmm. um and and there's a link there to to, to go to the, the the rental page um or there are various other uh, other people throughout america who are distributing it um douglas county historical mm -hmm. in in omaha um have a, and and buyer's choice um who are the company who manage my tours um they have it up on their website as well so uh, yeah it's it's there to be found oh, right. searching to any well-known search engine and, and i'm sure it'll <laughs> pop up somewhere that's um, right yeah. well and i'll be plugging it like crazy between now and christmas oh so. you're very kind thank you <laughs> uh, i know <laughs> several people have asked me to ask you is it going to be something that we can buy at some point like on a uh, dvd yeah, next year yeah um okay. this year we went for the just having it up on the vimeo uh, platform sure. just just for the the time scale and, and making it easy um i certainly hope to to have it as a as, a, as something we can you, you can buy and either save digitally or, or on a, a dvd i might revisit it next next year and 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 refilm a couple of bits and put a few extra bits in mm -hmm. um that'll be a whole new thing so you'll all have to go and buy it all over again <laughs> okay sounds good <laughs> um, you've got yeah, kids I, to I, feed I, yeah. I, I certainly hope it will be certainly hope it will gerald thank you just you know i know i told you 30 to 40 minutes and we exceeded that so it happens okay, to me all the time but it's very i'm very happy to do that <laughs> yeah well thank you again for uh giving up of your time and and joining me here and uh, we, we hope that you and your family will have a, a very Merry Christmas this year. Thank you very much. And the same to you. Have a very, very Merry Christmas. All right. Thank Great you. Thank you. Yep. <laughs>
I am a Christmas fanatic from the UK who thinks that the world needs to know more about the traditions, telly and music that helps make a British Christmas really festive. I look at everything from mince pies, to Boxing Day, to Wham, to Slade, to the Royal Family, to Doctor Who. If you want to find out more about a British Christmas, or you are British and want a hit of nostalgia, check me out at Merry Britsmas. Alright, thank you again, Christmas Gerald, to you just for giving an hour of your time um, to talk with us. Um, so in the next episode, I'm going to talk with Jerry D from A Totally Rad Christmas. If you love Christmas in the 80s, then you will love this podcast. Following that, we're going to have another podcaster on, Scott Newman from Jingle Jank. He's going to come on and help me figure out a cozy Christmas music playlist. So some fun times ahead. I invite you back. If you love what we're doing on this show, I'd be so grateful for you to, to go to uh, ko-fi.com, look up Cozy Christmas Podcast, and for the price of a cup of coffee, uh, you can help donate to the show. That's Kofi, ko-fi.com. Also, if you could rate us on Apple Podcasts, all those things are, are so helpful for the show. And if you send me in a Christmas memory or tradition, whether voicemail or email, I will send you a podcast sticker and a Christmas card any time of the year. Unless, you know, it's so far in the future that I'm dead. Well, that's bleak. Okay. <laughs> I'd love to share that with you. So in the meantime, be kind to each other and share your stories. And remember that there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. Have a very Merry Christmas.